So you enjoy when... Yeah, there's like a yeah. few opportunities. There's like five opportunities in life to wear Welcome to Weapon of Choice, a podcast where creatives across mediums give us insight into the weaponry of their art. Each episode, you'll be hearing an interview with an artist who uses their art as a weapon of choice for social change and disruption, visibility and justice, cultural critique and resistance, among other things that ignite social consciousness and community action. These artists will tell us about their journeys toward the battles they are fighting, how they design, sharpen, and develop their artistic weapons to strike a blow against injustice in the world. I'm Tommy Franklin. And I'm Andrew Benda. Thanks for tuning in. On today's episode, we sat down and talked with Ananya Chatterjee. Ananya Chatterjee is a contemporary dancer and scholar. She's the founder, artistic director, and choreographer of Ananya Dance Theater professional contemporary dance company composed of women of color. She is also the professor of dance at the University of Minnesota. And wow, Andrew, I, I really don't think we should waste anyone's time. I think we should jump right into this interview. And uh, we appreciate the support so far. Again, if you want to follow us on Instagram, that's at Weapon of Choice Podcast. And at Facebook, that's at Weapon of Choice Podcast. And if you're on Twitter, that's at Weapon Choice Pod. And like I said, Andrew and I are super excited for you to hear yep. this. So without further ado, let's hear this interview. My name is, depending on where you come from, my name is Ananya Chatterjee. But um, if I said it like that, um, where I'm from, it would be a matter of great joke. So in that way, at home, my name is Ananya Chattopadhyay. Uh, because I'm Bengali, so Anunna is the way we would say it. And Chatterjee is because the British couldn't pronounce Chattopadhyay, so they made it Chatterjee. It's the anglicized version. So once again, my name is Ananya Chatterjee here, but in my own language, it's Anunna Chattopadhyay. Why is dance your weapon? And what are you fighting? Dance, um, I love dance because it is the ultimate anti-capitalist practice. Um, it is, you know, this thing about live, live practice, right? Live artistic practice. It's really hard to do. You work hard at the end of the day. You have no thing to take home, no thing. There's, so I just feel at the end of my life, I'll have some pictures, I'll have some videos. I will not have a thing that I can point to and said, hey, I could stand on one foot at one point and I could do all of these rhythms. There is not a thing I can point to. So there is not a dance. There, are, there is not a thing called a dance. There is only dancing. And it only lives in the dancer's body. So I feel like, it's not something, you know, like how you can, how Marx talks about extracting the labor and selling it. It's, um, it's not possible to do that with dance. And I love that. I love that dancing is like movement building. It's that moment we were there. You and I were there together at that moment of it happening. And then it's, then it's gone. It, re it resonates in memory. So, um, so I love dance because it allows me to be humble um, you know, in that live moment, there's no redoing and you fall flat on your face several times and you, it keeps you humble. And it, it's also, it teaches me to value the extreme humanity of that moment of connection. And then it's, it's over. Do it over again, man. Don't get humble and don't try to consolidate stuff. 
that is a capitalist moment that consolidation you know um that's why i love dance and it's my and it allows me to reach for beauty in a way that almost is so seldom to that you can reach you know because you have an image of that you have an image that you want to that you're conjuring you're reaching towards so hard um and the truth is there are very few times in life that your heart can fill with the fullness of that image that you were able to fill in every single way it's a it's a it requires it's a practice that requires courage so how old were you when you realized you love dance oh it took me a while because you know at first when i was 5 my parents would my mother took me to dance because she had uh, wanted to dance and you know she was growing up in at a time when india was struggling with the anti colonial movement and you know her family was joint family not resources so there was no way for her to learn dance really so she took me and in the beginning you know i was 5 years old and i would go and the teachers were strict as hell and i didn't enjoy it then and somewhere in between then and my college life i fell in love with it hmm. but i didn't still know you know it was later when i was in when i was in college and i started meeting all these um incredible poets and performers um that i realized dance could be so powerful uh because you know i come i'm from bengal and bengal is uh bengal used to be no longer is bengal used to be one of the two states in india that were um that were run by left front governments which meant there were the two you know so we could we had this great philosophy of dance for often by the people but it you know there's there was a romantic philosophy in some ways but we had the possibility of understanding dance as part of class struggle um and that was important and because at that time the women's movement was very active so i also i connected dance to uh struggle for gender equity early on early on mm-hmm. because and i'll tell you a quick story this is a thing you know i would go to my guru studio and practice and then i would come out of it and you know that studio was the world of classical dance very pristine and i would come out and just at the bus stop right outside there were all these women's groups you know street theater it was really active at that time um and so the conflict between those two worlds drove me crazy but that's how i started to make you know how i wanted to bring the power of stage theatrical dance and social justice you know movement street move street theater together what spurred you to take up arms against injustice can you tell us about the start i came to the twin cities with a two and a half year old child i did not know anyone in the cities i had a job and i came um and i thought to myself what what am i going to do you know i i have no idea i have no community i don't know anyone and then i was teaching at the, you know of course i came because of my job at the university of minnesota and i um i would go up and down the stairs and teach in classes and it was so entirely white that it drove me crazy so i I actually started looking I it started the company started because I felt like I had learned so much you know um I had learned so much I had chiseled my feminism I began my my um journey in feminism with Indian women's movement which is one of the largest in the world and then I chiseled it by studying you know black and chicana and latina 
feminists here are really an Asian American feminists here. So I, you know, I was ready to think about alliances among these different, you know, among different women of color communities. And then, um, so I wanted to dance with them and there was no one in the dance community at that point. So I started, so I, you know, I said, what would it be like if all these women decided to, there, there are definitely women of color out there. I just don't know who they are yet. What if we, what if we all decided to go on strike and just sit around with each other and tell each other stories about our lives? So I, we sent out an audition notice and 40 people showed up. That's how we got started. Um, however, you know, the, that journey is important to mark that there is a way in which to sustain that kind, that level of interest is difficult because we, ha in order to be able to continue to practice and perform, you have to, um, you know, the professionalism had to grow. And, you know, the intensity of rehearsal, for instance, it can't be for everyone. But it's also, you know, I also feel like I want to hold up for communities of color a model of extreme, you know, of extreme um, dedication to their own, becoming their own best artist. One of the things that happens when you live in an overarching, um, overarchingly racist society is that people get co collected and used for the diversity because people are being marked off, you know? Right. So then I often see artists being invited to do something and then it develops what I call the two rehearsal syndrome where people are said, oh yeah, yeah, two rehearsals, good, you're good, now go. You're, you're ready to perform. So that artist never gets the opportunity, never gets pushed to their own excellence. Mm. That's failing them. I am committed, I commit to my dancers, I will make you look good on stage if or you know you will not be on stage because you have that's a place of tremendous privilege for us for all of us and we have to offer it's like a it's a sacred space make that make that you're bigger than yourself when you're on stage you're bigger than yourself you're telling the stories of many people and you are becoming a channel for many many people you dare not do anything that is not your best you dare not offer anything that is not your best you know so that professionalism takes work to understand and value. And it's damn hard to sustain, man. Sometimes your body's hurting, you've been rehearsing eight hours and you're like, oh, you're so exhausted. And like, if you could just have one weekend off, but you don't, you know? Yes, I know when not to text. <laughs> 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 no, they'd love to be at this thing tonight. Yeah. Don't even ask. Yeah. <laughs> the most recent annual performance, which is always a different performance every year. Now I'm going to pronounce it wrong. Shamali. Shamuli. Shamuli. Mm -hmm. Sprouting words. This was less than a week ago that they had two shows. Um, so coming off that, I mean, um, you know, what are some what are some reflections you've been sitting with just being less than a week out of that amazing performance? Thank you. Um, so. I think that what I, what I, it was a deeply spiritual journey. You know, women's descent was just choreographing that and putting it in my body was a deeply spiritual, because some of the dance happened between the, between the protests at the fourth precinct occupation and at and Standing Rock. You know, these were the experiences that we had that I created from. You know, being there and being there, um, and what it meant to what it meant to stand up again and again. So I am, 
I really felt the, the spirituality of that moment of sustaining community through the act of refusal, you know? I feel like we think of refusal as a negative act, as a negative moment. And all I can think of is, no, I will stand up again and again for my people. Mm. And uh, the, the gorgeous humanity of that. So what is the visceral weaponry in this latest piece? Like, you know, what battles was it fighting? In favor of softness. So I, I kept thinking, this is a battle about soft, wet, and dangerous. So, you know, feminine sexuality was a really strong mode in that, but also how to be soft so that, you know, like grass, you don't break. People step on you every day, you just slip out from under. So that idea of being, you know, and I feel like we are witnessing all over the world as it unravels at a really fast pace, this kind of aggressive, hyper-masculine mode of, you know, oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I just feel if we could just be soft and see what is happening, you know, then maybe it wouldn't be so, it wouldn't be so, uh, it wouldn't pelt on our nerves so much, mm. this kind of aggression, this mm. constantness of aggression. It's like kind of so, like shock therapy. It's like a social shock yeah, therapy. Yeah. Do you feel like there's, so do you feel like there's a sensuality to resistance? There can be. There can be. And I think that, you know, that's why I, there's that scene of, of these two women making love against the wall or the three of us exploring this deep intimacy against the wall, you know. Mm. And the wall, it's true, you know, the message for me, the message of the piece is that the wall doesn't get broken just like once white supremacy has raised its head or fundamentalism, religious fundamentalisms have raised their head. It's very hard to put it back in the box. It's not that kind of thing. But can we make it porous, we, you know, like my, the, the wall becomes porous through the greening of it, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, grass will just eat its way through just by persistence, not by knocking on it, but slowly eating its way through something. And I feel like there's something, something tremendous about that idea of softness. Each year that goes into a show, like what is that emotional yeah. journey? Um, you know, the... We are a company of women of color. So it means that we have many stories that come into the mix. How do we make a mosaic of those stories in a way that they can layer each other? Sometimes they can yearn towards each other. Sometimes they can collide with each other. What is that particular juxtaposition, right? Um, that is the way in which we have to live, right, for the future. Like I'm interested in the, the reason why this is a company of women of color is because it is an intentional community for the future. You know, the way in which we have to learn each other's histories and participate in each other's struggles, stand behind each other, stand with each other, right? Um, know each other's, um, the particular color of each other's um, struggles. So mm. I feel that that journey of, gathering stories and you know it's like in the lore, in the in the in the mode of audrey lord's biomethographies they're not they're not stories that there's that di distinction that also tony morrison makes between truth and fact so these are you know it's not in the nature of facts it's not this thing that happened this impersonal thing that happened the stories we collect are personal and sometimes have memory sometimes you know and memory is not perfect right so we remember things differently sometimes we imagine things so you know there's imagination memory 
and experience at the intersection of all of those the stories emerge and then we see how they resonate with each other or don't but they sit next to each other because all of our journeys are parallel in that way so putting of that together is a tremendous labor of love um you know to imagine our stories and to bring them together and then to create an arc this is you know we create an arc every year uh the one commitment that i always have is to despite you know sometimes the stories are devastating right so how despite the devastation can we uh create a process that recommits us to hope because it's impossible to give that up mm. so it's a deeply emotional process and then you know then there is the process of having all these different bodies and saying but we are dancing in an ensemble so sometimes there are moments where there's unison choreography and unison choreography means you know if your elbows here it's not here so it's very clear the angle of people's elbows we have to rehearse that and drill it and drill it and drill it it takes so much work precision takes work can you speak to what that process of navigating that together across the the year of you know how how does the piece evolve in that way like you know with incorporating those backstories of yeah. each of these dancers yeah so you know it's a lot it's very much about being responsive right to what's going on the imagery of the wall really came together more you know that's not how i was beginning i was beginning with the idea of descent itself because we live that mm-hmm. but the idea of the wall which became the background for the piece came with recent political events yeah. and it developed more and more and more um through time um and the idea the last idea of becoming like grass you know um became much more clear after going to standing rock so this was you know they evolve through time and some things have to fall away and some things have to be heightened depending on what is the what is the urgency at that moment mm-hmm. so um you know the the beginning section with people you know with the women with what i think of the the this idea of being undone mm-hmm. and these women who are you know who are somehow they they can't see they have that horrible lipstick on their face and it's you know what is the what is going on in their stomach that was a question because i know we have seen people like that we've all seen people like that and they're amidst us you know um and then you know just uh, just looking i'm really intensely aware as an artist of what's going on in the world around me so <clears throat> the solo that one of the artists rene dances is actually came from you remember there was this child's shoe that showed up on the shores of syria Mhm. So that image spurred that. You know what happens of that. You know what is a parent supposed to do is at the end of a world and then you know listening to the Rohingya Muslims, you know, and they're just the sobbing of parents who's you know they've lost everything, their homes, but just you know I'm a parent so I feel very strongly the loss of a child. What would that do for anyone? So I you know um so i respond i'm responding to those and i'm responding to the personal lives of my dancers who are bringing in their world into mm-hmm. the work as well so it impinges on my creative you know how i'm how i imagine a scene and then it impinges on what we need to do so you know when we were at fourth precinct and you know suddenly the you know the police came up like hi uh, there was this thing they there was this 
contraption that they suddenly came up somebody had painted some graffiti behind and this they rose high up and i just remember that moment of like you know that kind of gaze that comes down from us so there was the surveillance video that was created mm-hmm. and you know there was it's funny because um when when we were looking uh for when i was working with my collaborator on that surveillance image he said well all the all the surveillance stock footage of surveillance imagery is all white folk in front of good in front of like huge you know state capital this that and the other and i was like that's not going to work so <laughs> we had to actually re- we had to shoot that he actually shot that uh, shot us doing that yeah that was oh. <laughs> so it's just little things and you know that shifts and then you know how did we interact in in that in that surveillance video that also spurs the choreography back again you know mm. yeah you know you talked a little bit about the dancers and just the building of the show talk about the emotion in their performances and like their so i had the privilege everyone i had the privilege of being on stage as an on stage audience member for the first act and i think one of the things that stood out to me most was if a dancer you know dancers rotate sometimes they'll be upstage downstage and when they're upstage and they're facing upstage no one in the audience can see the emotion on the face of that dancer who could easily not have all of that there as long as the movements are executed but they still have all that commitment and emotion in their face so like just talk about that commitment that you get you know like their inspiration to like, perform at the highest possible level that maybe I've ever witnessed in in the medium um so this thing called emotion you know which is comes from comes from storying a, a process that I call storying where we map we where we do these incredible intricate maps emotional maps of what's going on at a particular moment what do we call those you know what do we call this moment you know what do we call this moment when we are standing backed up against a wall and each per, each person will have their own story and you know we ask people conjure up that story what does it remind you of so then you know when we share those stories i when i'm doing that i have at that moment my story your story andrew's story all of our stories are in my mind so it creates this layered emotion you have to do it and emotion is not on the face right i always remind my artists that we're not actors we're not trained as actors we're dancers mm-hmm. so we don't understand we don't you know so i say that not without with full respect for um actors it's just that we're not trained in that medium mm-hmm. so emotion for us cannot be on the face only the face is the response from what i what's happening in the energetic my energetic field in my stomach in my toes and in the tips of my toes so i really pay a lot of attention to the distal to the ends of my body because that's that's the way in which i'm reaching out to you know the energy is going to flow out from that from the tips of my fingers from the edges of my toes and my heel so my elbow like we talk so much about elbows you know mm. um so all of that becomes the the emotion you're feeling is because it comes from that energetic field from vibration not from you know not from not from trying to make not trying to look sad or trying to look angry that's why you feel it you know because yeah. it's flowing Yeah. What about your dancers' personalities and their personal journeys inspire you to create or change up a sequence or, you know, all of that that goes into Absolutely. choreography? So I'll tell you many, many, many years ago when um I was creating a piece called The Stick Dance. This was 2004, I 
And I was, you know, we were working with these long sticks because I was, I had, there was this thing called lati khela, which is playing with sticks, primarily done by men. And I wanted to do it to see if we could use these long sticks as a way to push forward beyond, you know, beyond the area. So if we can see up to here, could we push, could we use these sticks to push past that? So what we can see becomes more visible, you know, so... Um, mm-hmm. I was trying to think about that and taking on this this playing with sticks as a way, working with sticks as a way to take on something that had been reserved for male presenting bodies. Um, it was a beautiful journey and this was interesting because one of my dancers said, well, this to me reminds me of my ancestor's journey to Taiwan from China. And Kenna um, Cartman said, to me, this is about the middle passage. So, you know, that, cha- you know, we had very different interpretations of that same choreography, but then now the space was rich with all of these stories. And we were constantly, you know, it that, that made me think, okay, so I can heighten this movement and I can heighten that movement. So we can then, we are participating and supporting each other's um, collective memories and collective cultural memories, you know. I got texts from people who were at the show last weekend, and you you know you never know what to expect. You're like ADT's the night dance theater. ADT's putting on the show. Mm. We're going to this. We're excited for those that do attend. Mm. But uh, you know, Jay said some years ago, mm. uh, no one really knows what they're getting themselves into. And I'm sure he's speaking to the dancer side of things, but it's so true for the audience too. And, and generally, audiences just aren't ready, even though they're they're ready to attend. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What is that? It's fear. It's fear that they will have to confront with their own. They'll have to confront their own humanity, which is not neat, is messy, you know. And um, it's, you know, it's like your. it's like when we look at pictures of the heart, it's so different from the emoticon, right? Neat and surrounded like that. You know, the heart is this palpating, you know, red thing. When you look at pictures of it, you're like, it's not pretty. But What I mean by that is maybe our ideas of our own humanity in confronting devastation, confronting joy and feeling that you can, you are part of that experience is just, it may be uncontrollable. And it may be that this image of all of us breathing together and the possibility that that could shift so much is terrifying because it is about, it is about a different notion of your own power. Have you ever been asked, you know, to water water those visions down then because people are they're uncomfortable they're entering a place where maybe they're afraid of what they're um, being confronted with you know what what's that journey been like how do you stay saying no i this is i'm not toning myself down i'm going to continue doing this yeah thank you for asking that i think that um i think that has happened a lot in terms of you know refusals for the work to go farther so you know like touring we are now touring the work but it has been a long long struggle to get the work to tour Mm. um, and to share it with other communities because you know it's not part of the clean lines of ballet and you know that that the notion of women screaming you know their sweat flying the hair all over the face that kind of unneatness um, is something that has been hard to combat um I think I've, you know, there's this, it's been an incredibly difficult journey. 
It's been yeah. incredibly difficult, but I've had to remind myself that I do not work in a white aesthetic. And the other thing has been to remind people, you know, I work in contemporary dance, but people don't see this as contemporary dance. People say, oh, that you look like this, so you must be doing Indian dance. But then the Indian community says, that's not Indian dance. So then, you know, you've, you occupy the zone of non-belonging, which is, can be very fertile. But it's also been my goal to remind people that, um, you know, there is, white, the whiteness is a norm inside this thing called contemporary dance. You just don't mark it. You have to mark it. So, so that we can, so if we are to all participate in this thing called dance, this wide, broad field, where we all have, we all, all, every human being has access to that, to that, it's going to look unneat, very different, and it's going to not be easy to categorize things. So um, it's been important to insist on that. What's veiled behind that, that comment? This is something that came up in France, you know, this idea of conceptual dance, and now it's everywhere, this idea of conceptual dance. So contemporary dance is supposed to be conceptual, so you're not really supposed to dance, uh, because somehow dance got uh, wrapped up with entertainment. I fully understand that. Not interested in ent entertaining anyone. But I am um, interested in claiming my space of joy, in claiming rhythm, you know, in claiming, um, in claiming the space of shaking the air around me so much that the, you know, the vibration shifts. Um, so when people say dancey dance, they mean that you are actually dancing instead of making abstract gestural language, instead of using abstract gestural language. And, you know, for instance, someone can come in and just sit and turn. I just, um, I'm just not my European brothers and sisters. I have to find joy because it's not a choice. Um, it is, you know, I have to. And so when people say to me, dancey dance, I understand what they think is that we should have less conventional dance. But um, what they don't understand is for us to be able to dance on that stage was itself a journey. And we're, we're not doing the kind of dance that has been uh, loaded with certain kinds of market value. So, you know, like classical dance from India that came to be loaded at a particular, it was for a long time, it was the practice, it was a soul practice. And then at some point it became part of a transaction market, you know? Yeah. Um, that's not what we do. Um, so already for me, I, I, I resist that dancey danceness, but I will also uh, refuse, I also reclaim my dance. I won't let, I don't want to <laughs> let, um, let someone else's notion of what I should or shouldn't do, uh, you know, with rhythm, with, with um with gesture with fullness with breath that reaching um for beauty i'm not going to let someone take that away from me either can you tell us just a little more maybe about the specifics of of trying to of getting the show to tour and and what those struggles and obstacles have looked like yeah and, and just speak more on the barriers that whiteness has been and what other barriers there are so you know um i've often been i've sometimes told oh it's very dancey dance. 
So, you know, um, because right now what is popular is this, you know, very cool non-dance, you know, this thing that is non-dance, right? Uh, Non-story. And so it feels old-fashioned to really put your heart in something and dance it out Um, and to tell stories. Even though they're abstract, metaphoric stories, it still feels, you know, and I don't want to, it's not hip, you know, in the way that contemporary dance is supposed to be hip, right? Um, you know, the, here's the thing. I want, I want to claim my brownness apologetic, unapologetically. I am proud to be who I am. So I am going to claim that for myself and for my dancers. So I don't want to dance in suits and skirts. I don't. I want to market as much as I can differently. I, and my aesthetic. So you see, it's not this thing about being included. I'm not, I'm not interested in being included in someone else's model. I've created my paradigm. Whether you want to talk to me or not, that's your choice. But that means that I'm not, you know, I'm not part of someone else's, oh, let's get these bodies of color inside ballet or modern dance. I'm dancing in a different aesthetic. I'm making dances. The the choreographic model is also different. It's something I've had to create for myself. So that means that, you know, that means that people are like, well, that's not relevant to me, but it is actually. It is relevant to everyone. And, you know, um, to prioritize the stories of women of color, perhaps it, would, it, it was naive of me to think early on that this is something that would be, um, that would be so easily celebrated because we like, we like diversity. We do like diversity. On the face of things. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But it's what I call the united colors of Benetton model, where, you know, the bodies are the same looking, just different shades of skin, but they all wear the same shirt. But sometimes it doesn't work, you know. The Just, you know, just for instance, to do what we did last time, right, in this show, the box office had to be different. The ushering had to be different. All of that organization had to be different. How, when the stagehands came and when when they took their break had to be different because we had to have an orientation for people who sat on stage. So the structures have to change. You know, that kind of structural change is difficult for people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you mentioned a little bit of touring, of that touring aspect, which I didn't even know about. You know, again, two shows a year, everyone. Uh, you know, so many things to process as an audience member leaving each performance. There's a range of emotions, reflections, and appreciations, but anger always bubbles up for me. It's be- and that part of that is wondering, why isn't this a- around the world, for starters? And I'm still trying to figure out exactly where that's coming from. But like, how do you feel about the institutional white supremacy and sexism in the arts, particularly dance, which seems like blatantly disproportion- you know, disproportionately funding almost everything except spaces like Ananya Dance Theater? And I mean, I'm an outsider, but I, that's why I, I don't exactly know how to wrestle with this anger because I appreciate what I witnessed so much. Whose fault is it really, you know, when it comes to issues of exposure, turnout, promotion, and funding? Yeah. Um, I have, you know, I've had to really struggle with my anger. <laughs> so, because I used to be so angry that, you know, um, and then I... I, I struggled because I wanted to say, how can I make them irrelevant? I needed to make these forces of white supremacy irrelevant to my art. Um, and that was, you know, once I tried, that was a spiritual battle, Tommy. 
I had to take that on. That was the that is the only way that I can do the work I I, I do right now because I have I have to say, oh, I'm sorry you don't like my work. I don't really care. But that means that I have had to cultivate my community of those who care. But it is incredibly hard. It is in, and when we tour, it will be incredibly hard again. Because, you know, there is, I feel like there is this uh, cold, you know how when we go outside in winter here and we breathe and things just freeze around you, like that breath goes, you know, that white thing. I feel sometimes when I'm talking to these people, like, this breath comes, you know, this cold breath all around me. And it's just, it's terrifying. And I'm just like, what happened? Wait, this is not, this is actually not human. People are so holding on to their power to legislate taste, to legislate what is good and bad, that um, they're not able to actually have a human response to work, right? So it could be, I mean, you know, we all have different I understand that we all have different tastes. I mean, sometimes I have to say I sit in front of work, you know, what I call white dance. And I'm just like, I sit at the edge of my seat. I take a nap before, so I'm 100% awake. I sit on the edge of my seat and I'm trying really hard to understand. I don't get it. I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't get what's happening here. It's not touching me. But I'm still going to see it in order to say, what's going on you know in order to understand if this is structure and i can say that's great that you do that i am not that mm -hmm. and sometimes it's good to, to say that again and again that's great art for art's sake i am not that i'm art for life's sake so that difference is always going to be alive you know in the work and that is always going to be uh, i don't know i think it's very difficult to break through the structures of funding and i think that you know um we, you know, we, we have, we have a, we are a company, we're large enough company, we struggle to get like something, a $10,000 funding campaign for us is incredibly difficult. But we have so many community members who give 10, 15, 20, 25, you know, something like that. So amazing. But it's every time it's like, are we going to make it? Are we not? And here I see people who have like, you know, who are getting $50,000 and, um, but I think that it's, I think whatever it is, it's not the price to pay to not have to ever self-exoticize and to create our representation in our own terms. That price is so high that I'll hold on to that. Thanks for telling us what's really going on beyond entertainment because, you know, we're inherently entertained by even your performances. Yes. But that's the last thing that's happening during those performances. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to talk a little bit about, I mean, it's all throughout the world, but, you know, like shock value, right? When people are shocked, they run for the hills so as not to have to go inward, reflect on what they're witnessing in a show like yours, to avoid grappling with some of the truths in your, in your shows. You know, your work shocks maybe a few people perhaps, but it definitely, like, powerfully bumps up against that fine line between urgent, potent, pro provocativeness and shocking. So how do you navigate that fine line? I think the shock register is different for different people. I'm not interested in shocking anyone. Right. But um, I definitely, um, I've had people walk out from the show because too much leg is showing. And one of our images was, you know, I've been attacked pretty furiously on social media because they called it for sexual titillation. Um, so, you know, 
it's not that people don't get plenty mad, but I just feel that for me, the work is sacred. And the sacred, you know, as you know, um, in my cultural context and many cultural contexts around the world, the sacred includes both um, images of what might be thought of as grotesque and monstrous and, you know, sort of a different kind of light, you know, a different kind of um, different images of divinity. But, you know, my, in my context, the goddesses that I dance, the goddesses that inspire me are wearing skull necklaces and dancing with their hair flying all over the face. You know, that's Kali. And that's, <laughs> I love that image. So um, it, it's probably shocking for some people, but um, I feel like because I approach the work as sacred and as having important ritual dimensions, and the ritual lives in our everyday. So, um, you know, I keep coming back to the marches on, you know, the sort of blockades of the 90, you know, I-94 stopping the traffic on I-94. There was a ritualistic moment that it took, I'm sure, that to prepare to go up on that highway and said, we are all going to march together. That was a spiritual moment, folks. We can't forget that. You know, so I feel like that moment of ritual spirituality lives inside of that every day of that. If you remember that picture from early from Trayvon Martin's murder, when there was this picture of this man that we saw with a rose holding up a rose, that was ritual, right? So if we can unsee those dimensions in that everyday moment, um, then I think, you know, that that's that's where I come from. So it might be shocking to some people, but uh, the provocation is the prop it's not that it's not intentional so but it is it is i am intending to reveal the layeredness of every day moments you know the golden healing show if i pronounce that first word haridra yeah all right so that was 2016's performance um talk about exposing your audience to violence but you know metaphorically and rarely on the surface because i did bring my eight-year-old daughter to that and like the abstract stuff i knew that because i saw the performance the same performance the night before i was like i'm bringing her to this i have to 12 or however many women on color of color on stage i have to bring my eight-year-old daughter to this so you know like but but exposing your audience to violence can you talk a little bit about that you know because you do it through exquisitely crafted movements music mm -hmm. even unworded sounds coming out of your mouths and and, yeah. and feet even. yeah yeah so this is a very difficult and nuanced conversation that we must have because I never want, I mean, we uh, are the subjects, we are the recipients of violence, our bodies are, and uh, particularly as women of color, we are the, we receive violence and we struggle with that. You know, the even this year's show, there is no way to avoid that. So I do not want to pretend that there is not pain, devastation, and um, and that there's a residue of violence, you know? So that means that there is some level of un, be, becoming undone during the, you know, the, the performance of becoming undone, performance of pain is very real. That's got to be. However, I never want to show us um, enacting violence on each other. That I do not want to give life to ever. There's enough of that um, um, in real life. I think there's plenty of cross-lateral, you know, um, anger and hatefulness directed that we directed each other we don't need to put that on stage um so you know that means that every gesture am i going to reach my arm out diagonally towards alessandra or am i going to reach it out this way and she's going to respond that way that 
becomes a very important decision, the angle of the arm reaching, because I'm going to, uh, you know, it's not deflected, it's deflected, so it's not directly at her. It impacts the air, it resonates on her body ultimately, but there is a slightly, whenever we have to show violence, that exquisiteness, that it's, it has to be about crafting and nuance in such a way that it does not become crass. Mm. Um, so that has to be a very thoughtful portrayal, this idea of, this idea of violence um, that we see, that we see the effects of, right? And so the bodies are kind of, you know, are some, sometimes they experience this, or they, or they perform this kind of abjectness when they've come to that place. But that journey, you know, the other thing is to never allow uh, the framing of these black and brown women's bodies in powerlessness. It's always, they're always empowered to come back and you know we die. Like I feel, my dancers have said, I would, if you ever choreograph a show where nobody dies, I'll give you a hundred dollars. And you know that somehow that never happens. And I realize that that's my cultural context because you know I grew up like reincarnation was not. I never thought. I never stopped to think about it. That's just what I grew up with. So you know we the women. But this is every day, right? We die a hundred deaths and we come back again and again and again. So that promise of return. That promise of, of, of the, the promise of that journey towards a certain kind of hope throbbing with community mm. is, I hope, the promise of my work, you know? Yeah, you know, for, for some juxtaposition that can pop up in your pieces, how do you, pl how do you play with humor? Uh, there's, it's difficult because I, I, you know, the work has now at such a ritual, it has so much of a place of ritual I think sometimes, you know, like last year I had a lot of play with um, futurity because sometimes I think we think futurity is going to be a place of hope. And sometimes I think when I listen to, you know, like I think futurity is not always about hope. If you, if you told, <coughs> if you talk to your, if any of us talked to our grandparents and said, one day you will have to pay for water, they would say, never, can't be. It's a shared resource. We're all... We all hold it in common, impossible, and here we are. So I wonder, is there going to be, as a dancer, I think of breath a lot because, you know, I need that air to finish that movement. So is there going to be a time when we're going to have to pay for our oxygen? You know, already don't, when we fly, don't we have to pay that tax? Like, you know, where they plant eucalyptus trees somewhere in the world where they're not from and then they destroy the soil. So we have to, you know, and I think about these, I think about the ways in which we we imagine that future into into life, right? So I want to I the work is both about imagining the violence of a future that has been thoughtless and of imagining a future that has the that that can be about community and equity and you know that understanding of our humanity. What is it like to then turn and say now we're looking to the next? So you know the the thing about working with um, with what I call a model of community-engaged professionalism uh, means that I, I do, has, has made me come up with this model, which is that of uh, multi-year works, right? Mm -hmm. So I never do just, I, or I have, I've not done a long while just standalone works. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, for, I've done now a trilogy, a quartet, now I'm doing a quintet, work women do. So it means they're always like fish scales overlapping, mm -hmm. you know? So, Already last year, I began to think about 
yeah. this work because the whole theme is work women do, you know. Yeah. It's a labor of women which sustains communities, but it's not seen as labor. So, and because of, I mean, I have to admit that the logistics of securing grants and supporting a larger company means yeah. I'm already, you know, I'm already writing grants for next year. Like it takes time. Um, so I have to be thinking about the work anyways. Um, and um, so, but it's useful to not have to, to have this kind of finite beginning and finite end, you know. It's useful to have the fish scale structure because we begin to see how themes actually carry on. So it's about that idea of taking, you know, a, a prismatic vision, right? Of seeing that theme being reflected in multiple ways and how certain ideas carry over. So, you know, when we worked, we worked with healing last year, but healing was also present this year. It's also be, it's going to be present throughout because, you know, these sort of grand themes are flowing constantly. So it's good not to separate them out. So I'm already thinking, you know, I've already started thinking and researching next year's work. I can feel the tightness in people's chests in the audience. And, and you know, so you could feel deeper, heavier breaths around the audience. Mm. And, you know, to leave on the dancer part, like, why do dancers keep coming back to ADT? I hope, I, I hope they keep coming. I don't know the answer to that. I hope they keep coming back. I have to say I give them tremendous kudos and I'm intensely grateful that they do come back because like I said, I couldn't do, this work would not be possible without dancers whose labor makes it possible. And that labor is not something that we can extract and sell. So it's never, they're never, never uh, paid what they should fully be paid in that way. But I think that um, dancers are, the dancers are cultural activists. They're not like just dancers, you know, they're doing the work, they're out there, they're filling the stage with their presence and the stories, and they're committed to communicating that. So I think they, they come back because they feel part of a movement. But it's hard because, you know, we rehearse almost, almost every Saturday, Sunday of our lives. And then by the time we get to you know, by the time we're in August, September, it's six days a week, four hours a day at least. So it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, and I hope that, you know, I hope that they come back because they feel rejuvenated by it. Do, do dancers come in, like new dancers come in, and do you, is there like a bunch of shit you tell them just to throw away because they might have come from a university or? Yeah, they have to learn not to point their foot because I teach them, I, it's, I call it the tyranny of the pointed foot. Because everyone thinks that's correct line. And I'm like, no, let's flex it completely. You're never going to point your foot again. The tyranny of the pointed foot. Yeah, because that seems to be the mode of life, you know. I'm actually writing a book about contemporary dance. Mm -hmm. And I have a chapter called White Dance. You've had to create your own paradigm of dance, mm -hmm. um, a choreographic structure. What Can you just tell us more about the yeah. process of that? Yeah. So, you know, um, what I recognized when I came here is that people, students study this thing called choreography and they don't just make dances. So I didn't know that when I was growing up in India. So they make, they study their courses called form and content in choreography or form and dance making, or they study, you know, at the University of Minnesota where I teach, there are like lots of long series of um, 
courses that are about dance making actually what makes a good dance you know mm-hmm. like so students get practice and i think that's great i didn't grow up with that so when i came here and i was you know i i was thrown into these classes i was like what am i going to do i don't want to make a well made piece of modern dance um and um i just could i just for the life of me i couldn't fit into that model right so then i started you know and my and ultimately actually those classes i didn't do well in them my teacher threw me out several times and ultimately she said i guess you're just not what i want to see um which is okay great i i i'm so grateful that she gave me that because i knew what never to capitulate to you know yeah. so then yeah. i um i was like all right i'm going to have to teach myself what i want what kind of dances i want to make so i studied i looked at these old blurry videos you know like video cassettes mm-hmm. of my guru um making dance my guru's guru making dances on my guru so here's what happened odissi as a dance form was you know there was a lot of practice in the courts practice in the temples um by these women who were dedicated to the temple all of that the british colonial government comes up and stops support to these dancers who were part of the temple so in the ninth so these women had no way to support themselves because they they were they knew how to sing and dance and do the temple rituals so when that was lost they you know the dance started to, they started doing other things you know somehow trying to survive they were in tremendous tremendous poverty so they really um they you know they the dance started start, there was a tr- tremendous attrition in the 1950s and 60s when you know in 1947 india gained independence and the post independence cultural revival movement started by that time there were only 15 minutes of repertoire left so so much of what you see today in terms of what is is a reconstruction by people like my guru's guru and other gurus who were part of that movement to revive and they went and studied sculptures and this is something my guru took me to you know we would go around to temples look at sculptures look at paintings so i had a process of reconstruction i knew that but then when i saw these videos of my guru's guru choreographing on my guru these you know these what i realized what he and he had he had studied a lot of the poetry <coughs> literature which was remaining um you know the no thingness of dance dance doesn't remain but literature does so um he had studied a lot of literature to come up with this choreographic model and what he was doing was interpreting so there might be five lines of poetry but that first line of poetry is repeated many many times so you interpret it and reinterpret it from the point of view of different stories you know so you're drawing many many emotional layers into one so i realized that the like choreography can be about the invocation of an emotional landscape mm-hmm. um and i started to and that's when i started to create and for me rhythm always spoke to me so rhythm became my way to invoke emotion i invoke a lot of emotion through um through yeah through rhythmic structures you know so i had to teach myself that um how to choreograph how to make these dances that could that could work that could say that could you know um that could hold the different way of meaning making if you know what i mean you know yeah. you know so not meaning making in the sense of um of entirely of abstraction but also different from the classical model different from the western model. And we talked a little bit earlier about diversity and just you know the word diversity it, it must take on its own meaning in dance. Do you agree and and if so, you know, cuz I'm thinking like even that 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 trans 
gender uh, model with L'Oreal gets dropped. Because again, it's like, we want your face, we want your money, but we don't want you to speak, you know? And so like, you know, what is, what is diversity in its own form within the dance culture? So I think that um, <laughs> um, I can't stand this notion of diversity, right? It's the old failed policies of multiculturalism, which did not work for us. So I think that diversity happens when I see, and it comes with this inclusion model, which also doesn't work for us. So, you know, I see what happens with young artists of color. There's this tremendous policy of tremendous sort of attempt to include them to for so mainstream companies can get diverse, you know? Mm-hmm. And that means there's this thing that I, this collection model that happens, you know? Let me collect all the people of color and oh my God, yes, I suddenly got diverse. And look, I have so, 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 and so, let me parade them. But my stories, but you see, it's like, how Shannon Gibney talks about the handmaiden's tale. It's, you can have a model and then you can try to put people in them, but it fails because you see, if you ha- a brown body would not react in that way. So it doesn't work, but people try, you know, it, try, it, it doesn't work in my mind, but I think lots of people, for a lot of people, it does work. So um, I feel like those may not be, you know, to have diversity might mean to have different bodies telling the same mainstream story. And it means that whiteness can then contain us all, contain all these differences. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm interested in difference and in dance difference is difficult because it might mean that, um, it might mean structural changes, structures, infrastructural shifts, right? And I think there are several um, artists who are pushing at the boundaries of that. So hopefully, you know, chafing at the, chafing at the ways in which we are constantly asked to fit into that category mm-hmm. and us from inside saying, no, this cat, the constitution of this category has to change. Mm-hmm. I hope that will shift the field. Yeah. There's so many themes and like social justice theme that a lot that goes in your pieces. So we hear, we hear climate change, we hear climate justice, we hear environmental racism. I've, I don't know if environmental sexism is a term, but that's like what I, you know, in some of the stuff I've seen with even your previous pieces that I didn't get to see full shows of, you know, um, you know, ADT highlights many global issues as it pertains to the oppression of women. So did you see a need to vividly shine a light on environmental sexism? Again, I don't know if that's a term ever used, but. Well, we are committed to um, a particular kind of eco, eco-feminist um, feminine understanding of our ecological context. Um, And I want to say, you know, it's, uh, I want to say that uh, my bigger problem is with the term environmentalism versus environmental justice. uh, Because, you know, I feel like there's a way in which, you know, we don't need to save nature, we just need to save ourselves from destroying nature. So, um, and destroying that, you know, the legacy that we must leave behind for the next generations. And I feel that sometimes also we get into this terrible, um, we get into this terrible uh, way, terrible, terribly aggressive way of, you know, environmentalism, let's save the environment for its, you know, let's save the environment and then we don't understand the place of humans and animals inside of it. Um, Yoga, of course, teaches us that 
I'm, I'm, you know, yoga has many hierarchies within it, which we must dismantle at the same time. Yoga teaches us, you know, cat and cow. We do the cat and the cow. We, you know, because we, the principle of non-separation, we are not separate. We are not higher than cats and cows. So um, remembering that has been useful to me. That is actually the principle of, that is actually a, you know, that is a non-sexist or a feminist or feminine modality of, of finding that flow of life. And the, I'm, you know, I be, I, we talked earlier about this idea of soft, wet and dangerous. Mm -hmm. To me, that's the, that's the life inside of this eco-feminist model. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not, we're not, we may not be running out and showing um, and, you know, how can I say this? I feel like there is a kind of way, um, especially in the Midwest, where this kind of rugged spirit of, spirit of adventure in working with the environment seems to be the only way to do it right. And I just think of people like Sharon Day walking along the river again and again and again to offer their prayers. So we think about the life of the river. We think about the water inside our bodies. So that... You know, it's not about the spirit of adventure and conquest of nature, um, which I think is, and, and, you know, I think people often do that, you know. Um, I'm not so interested in that. What's your reaction when you see it so prevalent, especially since we have more access to witnessing, whether we even attempt to witness or not, that overt adventurousness folks are out there and, the, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, it's not interesting. It's not for me. And I, you know, my, I just, I just can't pay, pay much attention to it. It's more, it's like a don't engage thing for you. I, uh, I hear you loud and clear. How do the movements, the sound, the graphic design, visuals, costumes sharpen your weapon to make it more powerful in fighting injustice? Okay, I'll talk about the movement first. Because movement is about Movement is about a whole worldview inside of your body, right? Where is beauty? What is beauty? And where does movement come from? So if you think that movement can only come when you're standing and reaching up and aerializing, then you're going to create one kind of movement. If you think your movement comes from, the, from growing roots from under your feet into the ground, you'll dance differently. So, you know, when we do our footwork, it's about resonating fine, resonating with the earth's vibration because our earth moves underneath us all the time. The earth is alive. So we, have, we remember that's, that's the core of our technique, right? Understanding groundedness. Understanding grounded and nimble at the same time. The nimbleness comes from our work in Chao, which is a martial art tradition, and in elongation, which is yoga, right? So understanding all of those things together uh, creates a very particular aesthetic and a particular way to move. You, you know, you can, so it's in the how of the movement that we have to pay attention. Uh, you can lift an arm and you can lift an arm and you can lift an arm. So all, the how you lift that arm, the details of your movements of your fingers and your elbows, all of that is going to lead, is going to articulate your aesthetic. So I want to put that out there because aesthetic, how we see beauty is an aspect needs us to, often we need to decolonize our minds to see beauty in its lair. Truly, not 
um, not constantly, right? Not in not in a particularly sophisticated. Uh, I think you know when I see very manicured nails, I think of a particular kind of beauty, and when I see people who are you know, who are people who have been working in the garden and there's dirt inside their nails, I think of a very different kind of beauty. So just different ability to see beauty. Then costumes, lighting. So how do we, how do we, lighting is something that is so difficult because when we, you know, and we have a range of skin tones. So in order to show, in order to make sure everyone is lit sometimes, some bodies are going to get washed out by traditional lighting. And at, at other times, in order to make the sculpt the lighting, some bodies will disappear. So, you know, so the difference between skin tones is not something lighting has yet been able to give us in that way. So we work very, very thoughtfully about who to place on stage where, who will catch the side light when the front light is catching these people in order that everyone can be seen equally. This is a lot of thoughtfulness. Um, so, you know, that's part of, you know, so in order, it might mean that that's why spacing is so important. You can move within this zone to this zone because otherwise you'll go into this person's light and that person's light is going to wash you out or something like that. You know, yeah. it's like very, yeah. it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's a lot of, it's a lot of um, design. Mm-hmm. Costumes also. So, you know, where, as I said, we, I'm always looking to deconstruct um, you know, last, last um, deconstruct some of the some images of what we've seen traditionally associated with, you know, what what do women of color wear? How to be different? You know, how to be different from that tradition and bring us bring our bring our contemporary selves into the work, and yet not be, you know, part of the way in which uh, Western or white contemporary dance looks. You know, that's. That's a, like the, every element of design is intentional, should I say. And sound. And oh, sound is unbelievable. So our, so we work with this range of artists. My composer, Greg Schutte, is a rock star. He is a rock star. I was blown away. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes, he's a rock star. And what we've done is that, you know, I used to, um, so we've, I used to say that I love to, create this sort of collage of the of voices of women who come from nowhere specific and everywhere at the same time so and um and then i you know i got pulled into lori carlos my amazing collaborator her jazz aesthetic right this idea of juxtaposition of going somewhere and coming back without necessarily ever coming back by the same same roots you know mm-hmm. so there's monk wendosi there's puja goswami there's tenzin Kwang. Michelle Kinney, like all these different instruments that come together in um, reminding us that we are implicated in each other, that our histories are not separate. So that for me, the music is so much the partner of this. Uh, the sound score is just the partner of the dance. So in that same way, you know, in that same way that the dance works to, to juxtapose different histories, the score does that too. At the end of a show, one of the things I'm instantly wondering mm-hmm. is, in the, being in the audience, is how much more, because it's my imagination, I can't have uh, 300 conversations in that instant mm-hmm. with everyone who was there, but my mind's wondering how, how much more are we all more connected right now, mm-hmm. you know? And <clears throat> you once said about the power of dance, and I quote, 
It clears a space where many people's minds can meet and some deep aspect of humanity are suddenly revealed to you. Mm. So can you tell us more? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to prioritize dance as this, you know, I don't want to mis mystify dance. But I do think there is something to be said about the resonance of image, which is layered in so many ways. So it might not be able to mean one particular thing. Let's just take that image of um, Renee, Kea and me dancing together, right, in the last and just finding the wave in the torso. So you are seeing the chest rise and fall, which then connects you to your own breath. And you are seeing these different bodies, you know, finding synchronicity, arriving at synchronicity, not because it was a one, two, three, but because it was breath. So it, you know, it starts at different points, but we fall into rhythm. So there's something about the layeredness of that and the kinesthetic communication that is happening between you and me, you know, as we are on stage and you're there, um, that helps to remind you that you too can be part of that breath, um, which I think is so, which I think is so magnificent about dance. I love that. And I think we are moved by, you know, we are moved by infinitely small, but also infinitely delicate things in life. We are, we just, um, as, as human beings, we are. So, um, and I think that I, I love, I love that about, I love that about us. So, and I hope that that's, you know, I hope that's what communicates and uh, the intangible, the intangibility of an image because it goes away, it dissolves, right? Uh, so you have to hold on to it in your memory. Yeah. What are you just tired of hearing as an artist? I'm not tired of hearing. I'm tired of the gaze turned away. And I, it breaks my heart when I get it from young people. I do get it from young people. I get it from young people of color who are so afraid that they will suddenly have to reveal themselves as being of color and passionately struggling to find validity. And because they have rushed towards whiteness just to survive, mm -hmm. I feel like they reject. That rejection is the most deeply painful thing for me. And I experience it a lot. Well, thank you. Thank you. Mm. Mm. For sharing that. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, a nine-year dance theater, mm. I always want to say ADT, but a nine-year dance theater is about making hope and possibilities emerge through darkness, mm -hmm. which you said, mm -hmm. and not when the media delivers, quote-unquote, good news. Right. Why is it crucial to have it emerge through that darkness? Darkness is just real. And, you know, um, I think that under the cover of darkness, we are taken hostage many times. Um, I, so I think of, you know, you know I, I always come back to that, that uh, not always, but many times things have happened. But, you know, darkness can, can be a magical time. But also, I remember, I will always remember sudden, that moment in, at the 4th Precinct when suddenly the police came up, when suddenly these masked men came about remember that time that was terrifying, right? So um, I think we have to remember darkness is for me is the metaphor of not being able to see ahead, not knowing there's, I have no idea what I'm going to do in the next moment because everything is falling apart. So, and at that moment, I think, you know, that's when life becomes fragile and it's no, you know, the preciousness, everything that we hold precious 
starts to lose their weight because we can't we can't we don't know how to hold them up anymore so that's when the philosophy of hope also has to emerge as something that is grounded in our together breathingness um, perhaps because you know at least we don't have anything but we can breathe together so how do you personally balance cynicism and hope i don't think there's a choice um if i with all my privilege you know i'm i'm sitting here i'm an artist i have so much privilege if i uh, don't have hope i mean how is the mother in syria going to have hope i don't have a choice so you know i i'm very conscious of my own privilege um so yeah if if there is a mother in syria who's getting up and cooking for her child i owe it to her to always always produce generate good energy and hope move towards beauty do my work what is the potential of dance i think of dance as this magical practice you know so i always have this i have this image that what if we all stopped wasting our energy on negative crap right what if we all um what if we all decided to find the pursuit of what if we all decided joy what if we were all climbing up this really difficult mountain together and uh maybe carrying some of the children and then you know those who can't really climb up um supporting those shifting responsibility and we arrive at the top at the top of this really high mountain and there's this big plateau and where we can see the sun and what if we all just burst into dance spontaneously what would that be what would that be like what would that joy be like you know and i um i think that that magical expansiveness when other things fall away um is the possibility of dancing it's revolutionary to me dance is revolutionary um and you know i i that's why i i i struggle when we have to do these things like measure how will you succeed in this project you know measures of success i don't know i felt the audience connection i felt by dancingness with my with my with my fellow citizens i felt us all as subjects in a history that we are creating i i don't know how to prove that so um you know that's that's the magic of dancing i think that revolutionary promise is there a renaissance of dance somewhere around the corner he's never been dead yes it's not dead hip hop's not dead dance oh, is ne- no. hip hop's never dead dance is never dead that's for the record and mm-hmm. i guess i'm thinking of maybe i can scour the internet mm. definitely not in minnesota mm. renaissance in terms of yeah that's why i brought my daughter to that show mm. so you might never see this again mm-hmm. that's why she had to be there yeah so you know like emerging of um i know you i know how many people you inspire that might not even tell you but so hopefully mm-hmm. new leaders in community in yeah. arts in yeah. that intersection yeah. emerge not only in minnesota but like obviously hopefully people around the world yeah when it comes to like women of color led created from the from the roots not even the ground from the roots like what do you if you don't see it what do you imagine movement building a movement mhm um 
you know, a, a movement that reminds us of sacred life force and the, and the, and what it means to ground, you know, to, to stand with your feet planted to the ground and look back. Because the other promise of this work that I like to make is that if you're looking at us, we're looking right back at you. So don't forget that, you know, like it's not that you have the ability to just look at me. I can look back. And we know who they are. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. <sighs> yeah. What art are you currently taking in that's giving you breath, life? What's energizing you? What art are you taking in that's lifting you up? Um, the work of the work of women across the world really, really inspires me uh, because people do so much without it being the job that they have to do. They do it because they must. It's, a, it's, an, it's their imperative that they must do this. So um, people do this all the time. People stand up and resist all the time. Um, and you know, what is becoming more common in our world is people die for it. Um, there was a journalist in India who was just shot dead in front of her house um, in Bangalore, in a city like Bangalore. Um, because she was a she was an outspoken critic of uh, Hindu fundamentalism. Uh, it's terrifying. This is a terrifying time for people who want to uphold justice and equity. But there have been terrifying times like this before. So and people before us have continued the work of standing up no matter what. So or sitting down no matter what. You know, Rosa Parks. So we just got to, I feel like that is what feeds my soul, that, that inspiration. And um, I just, you know, I'd, uh, this is the time for us in my community, my culture, this is the time when the goddess is imminent among us. Um, and uh, the day that, you know, it started, these 322 young art students went and painted all over the streets, you know, beautiful. So that idea of just bright, vibrant beauty because, because, because of life spirit is, is something that I'm humbled by all the time. Not cosmetic, but because of life spirit. Mm. And, you know, then there's the mission of the company. People powered dances of transformation. People powered. It's people. And it's uh, the promise of transformation. I wanna, really want to thank you for those who are cosmically curious about Ananya and her work, you can start at ananyadancetheater.org. Theater with a T-H-E-A-T-R-E. Yes, y'all. Yes, yes, y'all. <laughs> ananyadancetheater.org. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, thank you. I mean, y'all aren't able to see, like, okay, think about this. People use hand gestures when they speak, culturally or otherwise. When I'm witnessing... You know, having this conversation today, like the hands, Ananya's hands are like in a in a in a in a <laughs> in a radius of about a foot. Mm -hmm. I'm like, my mind is like looking at the world as she paints these pictures with her words. Absolutely. So I know you out there can imagine her, but again, I'm just so grateful that I'm able to sit down yeah. in the flesh. Thank you. This was great. This was amazing. 
food for me. Is there anything that we didn't get to that you'd love to... No, I just want to thank you for doing the work you're doing because you're tilting airwaves. You know, that word tilt is important because it, you know, you know things begin, some things that are unnecessary begin to fall off when things are tilted and those that have sticking power stay. So thank you for doing that. Wow. <laughs> we feel, so, I feel so privileged just to be, yeah, to be right here with you. Thank you. Thank you. Woo. I'm speechless. Yeah, I think coming off that interview, words, words fail me. Uh, that was amazing. And I, I just felt blessed to be in that room. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I agree with you. And I, hopefully these conversations go beyond this episode. Um, and, you know, even if, we're, even if we're fans of the show and we're talking about this episode for a week or two, hopefully what's in it can go beyond this episode, beyond... Our, our most immediate communities and uh, we definitely uh, need the help of the listeners out there if we want to uh, keep breathing life into important conversations like these and uh, you can reach us uh, if you have any questions feedback inquiries recommendations for artists you think we should have on the show our email is weaponofchoicefans at gmail.com that's weaponofchoicefans at gmail.com and for any artists listening right now, uh, we want to know what's your weapon of choice. And for everyone out there listening, we also want to know what art are you taking in right now? Currently, um, have you been taking in that is giving you life, giving you energy, recharging you, and uh, just you know helping you get out of bed every day if it even comes to that? We'd love to know that as well. Our featured artist this week is Minneapolis hip-hop artist Two for One, whose interview with us will air next Tuesday. We talk about his time at Standing Rock and so much more. You do not want to miss it. Play it. I got you. Send me all, send me all, then get lost. Then get lost. And when I'm gone, come back and bring you along and take you anywhere. Send me all, then get lost. When I'm gone, bring you along in a car and a bus and a freight train, ferry boat, an airplane, and just lift off. Send me all, send me all, then get lost. Then get lost. And when I'm gone, come back and bring you along and take you anywhere. Send me all, then get lost. When I'm gone, bring you along in a car and a bus and a freight train, ferry boat, an airplane. And just lift up. Finally made it to the Pacific Ocean this year on a road trip west coast. And I never seen a Grand Canyon. Then it happened. Yoga overlooking a cliff without a caption. Not national geographic. It's actually in my grasp, although it's so hard to fathom. So hard to clutch, yet it's right where I'm standing. Go far from home, start to grow where we're landing. Planting the seeds, planting to be back in the streets. In the mini gap in a few weeks. With a scheme trying to be nomad to get a few thousand miles east for six weeks. Maybe six months, maybe a couple years. Put an extension on my visa. Nip body here attempting to be a visionary with sight so clear and let it manifest and bring everything that I hold dear guitar in the back and a laptop parasites hoodie just in case if it's cold but it's probably not dreaming of being in Santiago has gotta be hot visited twice in my life and I'm loving the spot hard to believe I made it to Cuba made love made moves and we made our maneuvers toward the island three times man I made some improvements life changing every trip find a way to just do it I hop in and I'm bouncing from the great plains onto the mountains if I can see beyond the horizon see life through the eyes of a falcon 
I hop in and I'm bouncing from the great plains onto the mountains. If I can see beyond the horizon and see life through the eyes of the falcon, send me all, send me all, then get lost. Then get lost. And when I'm gone, come back and bring you along and take you anywhere. Send me all, then get lost. When I'm gone, bring you along in a car and a bus and a freight train, ferry boat, an airplane, and just live. Y'all send me all, send me all, then get lost. Then get lost. And when I'm gone, come back and bring you along and take you anywhere. Send me all, then get lost. When I'm gone, bring you along in a car and a bus and a freight train, ferry boat, an airplane, and just live. Y'all, shall I continue to fly, willing to get another glimpse of something different? But why? Cause as a kid, I never had the damn privilege to ride on family trips unless we dipped in South Dakota to see some of my people in. Living on a reservation, I seen the devastation. My dreams to see us all move on beyond the same life that's been rejected upon us, breaking the same cycle, finding strength in the hardships. Struggle we felt in the process and dealt with the pain when we moved to the projects. My innocence broken with visions of dope dealers, hustlers that shoot in the dark at the park when we lived in the hood. Roaches infested the crib where I stood. Mama stacked dough when we dipped for good as we made it up out there as quick as we could and never looked back. Thankful that I never had to learn to cook, crack, or pitch that. Cause my daddy done did that. Never rode a caddy with a patio in back. Flat screen in the living room with a thick stack. But my mom finally Bought us a house still living over south, no section eight housing. Now I'm just wildin' out today, counting miles away. Found myself on planes lounging. I hop in and I'm bouncing from the Great Lakes onto the mountains. If I can see beyond the horizon and see life through the eyes of a falcon. I hop in and I'm bouncing from the Great Lakes onto the mountains. If I can see beyond the horizon and see life through the eyes of a falcon. Send me all, send me all, then get lost. Then get lost. And when I'm gone, come back and bring you along and take you anywhere. Send me all, then get lost. When I'm gone, bring you along in a car and a bus and a freight train, ferry boat, an airplane, and just live. Go. Send me all, send me all, then get lost. Then get lost. And when I'm gone, come back and bring you along. And take you anywhere, send me off, then get lost. When I'm gonna bring you along in a car and a bus and a freight train, ferry boat, an airplane, and just lift off. Never in my life have I witnessed something like this.